In a world where one man brings you an inspiring, powerful podcast to help you elevate your state of health, energy, and overall life performance. Welcome to the Elevate Your State Show with your host and fellow health hacker, TJ Anderson. All right, all right, all right, my friends, TJ Anderson here. And we are live today. I am excited to be joined with Dr. Jeffrey Gladden, MD and FACC, which stands for Fellow of the American College of Cardiology. Dr. Gladden is a reformed interventional cardiologist, which we'll get into on today's show about what that means. And he now dedicates his time towards health, human performance, and longevity optimization. So Jeff is founder of Apex and co-founder of Living Beyond 120. So without further ado, Dr. Gladden, welcome to the Elevate Your State show. Hey, TJ. It's great to be here. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, of course. I'm, I'm, uh, uh, we had a chance to connect. So to give people some context, if you're listening or, or watching the video of, of this show, uh, I had a chance uh, to meet Dr. Gladden down in just outside of San Diego, uh, at an event recently. Yeah, um, JJ Virgin, I think, right? Uh, at JJ Mindshare. Virgin's Mindshare. Yes, this yeah. is like a uh, health entrepreneur mastermind. Uh, you know, three day event. Great opportunity to connect and meet with other like minded leaders. And I yep. ran into you, Jeff, there at um, at a booth, mm-hmm. one of the companies which we might talk about today on the show that yeah yeah both, I think it was at Vasper wasn't it it was Vasper yes yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. which is one of the advanced kind of longevity and like health and human performance technologies that that uh, we'll jam on today yeah. but uh, yeah so we hit it off um, you know yeah. Jeff's got a very interesting story what really uh, uh, spoke to me and I'd love to, to hear from you now to kind of give people context in your background is your kind of reformation as you say you're a reformed interventional cardiologist so why don't you like first start off with what you mean by that and a little bit about your your story sure uh, professionally and personally yeah for sure um you know i my my story is basically that i i went to medical school in philadelphia temple and then did my internal medicine at case western and did my cardiology at the university of colorado and came to dallas in um, in 88 and started practicing interventional cardiology. So for people that aren't familiar with that, it's it's everything that a cardiologist does, EKGs and echocardiograms and stress testing and all that. But then we would take people into the cath lab for cardiac catheterizations and angioplasties. And then when stents came along, we started doing stents. And then when other medical devices came along, rotablator and laser and uh, intracoronary ultrasound and IFRR and, and things like this, um, we would use all these different tools to basically try to open up blocked areas in people's arteries. Um, and so I, I practiced that for about 25 years. And in the, in the context of doing that, I actually built my own heart group. Um, we had about 10 offices. We used a, uh, an A36 Bonanza, a little plane to fly around to get to the different offices in Oklahoma and East Texas and all that sort of thing. So we were a little bit of road warriors, but um, we saw a lot of people and I ended up starting a lot of cardiology programs in the North Texas, uh, Southeast Oklahoma area, different cath labs and cardiac rehabs and even open heart surgery programs. And 
and I actually um, came together with one of my former partners before I left to start my own group, and he and I co-founded the Heart Hospital Baylor Plano, which is a, a very large and uh, very well-run organization, basically. We created that basically to create a new paradigm in patient care for for cardiology patients. We felt like they were always getting sort of second shift from the hospitals we worked at. So that was all terrific, um, except that along the way I got sick. And so uh, I was getting fatigued and was getting depressed and was having a hard time getting out of bed and was starting to put on weight around the middle that I didn't like and had always been athletic. And I got to a point in my mid-50s where I felt like, you know, I'm not going to be able to keep up with my kids anymore. And that was um, just something I couldn't wrap my head around. Uh, it's like, I, I know I'm, I'm not going to be able to keep up with them snowboarding or mountain biking or doing the things we love to do. So, uh, I basically threw myself into the category of age management medicine, alternative medicine, integrative medicine, and went out and got certifications and did tons of coursework and reading. And, and then I, I came to realize that, uh, I really, for those 25 years, I hadn't been practicing healthcare. I really had been practicing sick care. And when somebody got sick, if you got sick enough, you could come see me. But if you wanted to be the best version of yourself, uh, I really didn't have anything for you. Mm. And we had built a great heart hospital to take care of you when you got sick, but it wasn't doing much to keep you out of that heart hospital. And so once I was sort of able to crack the code for myself and figure out that although my thyroid numbers all looked normal, I had subclinical hypothyroidism that was picked up only by some biometric testing and got on thyroid, I started to feel a lot better. And then my depression was related to my genetics around how I make neurotransmitters. And once I got the right cofactors engaged to make my methylation cycle work properly, all of a sudden I wasn't getting depressed anymore. And then I was hormonally depleted. And once I got on some hormone repletion, uh, you know, I was able to get back to what I weigh now, which is basically what I weighed in college. Um, and then I got to a point where I was thinking, gosh, I've really gotten so much better here. I wonder how good I can be. And so that became really the empowering question. And it's the reason I left interventional cardiology uh, and really started to push into health human performance, you know, athletic and otherwise, intellectual, emotional, spiritual, but human performance, and then longevity, right? Because we started to feel like, and not only feel like, but know that when you're in a sick care system, you're really handcuffed to the payers, right? So if they're not paying for it, you're not thinking about it, you're not talking about it, you're not attending a conference where it's talked about, but once you take off the handcuffs and basically move into a world where, where we no longer work with insurance companies, um, all of a sudden there's a wealth of information and a wealth of technologies uh, that are mind-bogglingly good that can actually help people turn back the clock and really rev up their ability to perform. And, and ultimately we feel uh, enhanced longevity significantly. So that's, that's the transition right there personal you you had your own personal kind of enlightenment and and that's what i love hearing in terms of these the uh the evolution and creating a better approach towards our 
healthcare, our level of health as a society, um, but especially from health professionals to actually go through their own personal health awareness and growth journey. Mm-hmm. That's kind of, so you went the, you were an MD, you had advanced training, you went into cardiology, you, you actually build a successful practice throughout Oklahoma and Texas and 10 locations. And then your own health kind of woke you up because it was holding you back from being able to actually perform exactly. at the level you needed to, not just for your business, but your family. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, and so that kind of sparked like your own kind of like realization that like, oh, my thyroid, my depression, my, my level of energy and fatigue, and you mentioned hormones can all be hacked, so to speak, mm-hmm. to, to effectively perform and, and work, have the human body do what it's meant to do, and that is thrive. Yeah, that's it. That's it. And it's, <laughs> it's really about, that's a, that's a great word that you use, TJ. I think it really is about um, decoding your own situation, right? It's not, we don't, at, at Apex, um, and it's Apex Health and Human Performance Optimization yep. Longevity, right? So um, at Apex, um, you know, we don't have a set plan for an individual. Everything is a custom fit. So we basically, people come to us and they want, they're asking the same question, how good can I be? And typically we sit down and have a conversation with them about their aspirations and what kind of hurdles they see based on their own, you know, family history or things they've experienced. And then we, we do a, a series of battery, uh, a battery of tests uh, specific to them and basically crack the code for them in terms of what are the underlying mechanisms. Because One-on-one personally for them. Exactly. Because it's all about root cause analysis. Um, you know, in, in medicine, we have a, we're trained with a, a tool bag, right? I, as a cardiologist, I had, I had a list of tools, right? I, I knew how to prescribe a bunch of medicines, and I knew how to do a number of procedures and a number of in-office procedures. And that was my tool bag. And if you came to me, I was, you know, going to pull from what I had to offer you. And if it worked, great. But if it didn't, you know, that's too bad. I mean, it's not that our hearts didn't go out to the people. I mean, we really do care about people. But it's, it's the kind of thing where you realize that you, you're not really trained in the medical profession to look at root cause analysis. You're basically, somebody comes with a symptom and you have a toolbox and a toolkit and you open it up and, and apply those tools and hope for the best. And the difference now is that we do a root cause analysis down to the genetics, the nutrigenomics, the diet, the gut biome, brain health, heart health, and we're looking to preemptively diagnose uh, the presence of disease. We're looking to preemptively treat the presence of disease. And then from there, we're looking to optimize genetic expression and food and diet and supplements and the whole nine yards. So that to your point, right. you really are uh, bringing people to this point of very high function and health. So mm, Yeah. So I, I want to ask about that transition and, and how like your family, your profession, like colleagues in the profession were impacted by this personal transformation and complete shift that you made in your career. But before we dive into that, I want to kind of highlight what you just mentioned right there. And that is how, you know, a lot of healthcare, the training, the the toolbox that health professionals have is, is perhaps limited. It's limited by their, their training, their experience, and also 
the system and how it's designed, how people like where the money's flowing, as you mentioned, health insurance companies. And, and it's really a matter of like uh, having payers involved. You just become dependent on that. But I want to, what I want to highlight is root cause analysis to your point is what <laughs> we're, you're creating now and, and helping others like utilize to, to really understand like the root causes, what's going on. And so that would, for the listeners, that would be likened to a fully functioning pathogenic model, right? So pathogenesis, mm -hmm. the origin and cre uh, the origin and uh, creation of dis disease. So what mm -hmm. what's the cause of disease? So that's a, like an effective pathogenic model. And so what you're saying is most most health professionals, like, do they use a pathogenic model? They just don't go deep enough because the well, other model is is would be so the origin of disease and then the origin of health. So what creates health is salutogenesis. I don't think they right. do a lot of focus on what creates health either. No, they don't. What's your take on that? Well, I think um, the way that I would frame it up conceptually is that uh, when you go through training, um, you know, you have this toolbox and you have a set of answers and you'll find that a lot of people uh, in any profession, you know, medicine is one, law is another, uh, you know, almost any profession, quite honestly, people get married to their answers. So they basically, they figure out some things and all of a sudden they get married to those answers and those are the answers that they're going to apply to whatever situation comes along. And that whole sort of scenario is reinforced in the medical community by, uh, by the insurance payers who are paying for those particular answers, right? And then the quality of care is all based around how well you document that you're prescribing along the quote-unquote guidelines, which are generic guidelines for a population. They don't necessarily specific for an individual. And so you have a very answer-based kind of um, structure there. And yet in life, intuitively, we all know that the answers that that we have are not nearly as powerful as the questions that we're asking, right? Amen. So the questions we're asking are what really motivate us to learn, what really motivate us to find new solutions, what really motivate us to, to go places we've never gone before. And so, um, you know, I like to think that the questions we ask are infinitely more important than the questions we, or the answers that we currently have. Right. So the, the questions yeah. trump the answers, yeah. So there's a quote I have in my book, for those that are listening, uh, it is smart people have answers, geniuses have questions. Oh, there you go. And that's a good way for people to realize like, oh, okay, so answers are just one level that's because it. there's a lot more that can meet the eye. And so we need to keep the curiosity, keep asking questions. Okay, so that's a big, yeah. that's a big part of it. It is a big part of it. Yeah, it really is a big part so of it. So they get used to the same answers. They have generic guidelines. Uh -huh. They get reimbursed by following this model because of, of what the right. payer says. It's and how they're trained. Yeah. It's how they're trained, right. So you kind of, you, you had a come to Jesus moment. You were like, I'm leaving this. We need to uh -huh. create a new model. And you built Apex and your uh -huh. whole, now you, you've got more training, more experience around. Right approaching health based on human performance is that's that right. that's I, I see this trend happening right so like people see it like the whole biohacking space around longevity people like oh I want I can live to like 150 now and, and you're the co-founder of, of uh, you know living beyond 120 
Mm-hmm. So that's, that's, that's exciting to some. It could be overwhelming to others. Um, but what would you say to someone that is considering making sure that they have the right team that they're choosing to have on their healthcare team? What would you say to someone that is really wanting to make sure that they do have the best, like, all-star healthcare team? You know, what, what pieces of advice would you have? Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, the people that you're working with, uh, one of the questions that you're probably not asking them is, what questions are they asking? Mm, so asking our health professionals yeah. what questions they're curious about. Right, exactly. Because if they're not curious, then they're probably, they have a toolbox and maybe it's a more elaborate toolbox. Maybe they've, they've stepped outside of the sandbox and they've got some hormones to offer and they've got some, you know, integrative techniques and some things like that. But what I find even in the integrative medicine space is the same sort of mindsets. People get married to a certain set of answers. And so I think if you're looking to really optimize the people you're working with, you need to find people that are asking the same questions that you are. Because if, if they're asking, how good can, can you be? How good can we be? How good can we be? Yeah. If they're asking that question, then you know that they're basically, they're not going to stop when they run out of the tools that they know. They're going to discover the new tools that they need. And I think that's the mindset of the people you want to work with. Mm, that's such a great point. So having curiosity as as a patient or a consumer, mm-hmm. um, there's a great book, Eric Topol, Dr. Topol wrote, The Patient yeah. Will See You Now. Right. So people really realizing we do have so much more power as individual consumers than we ever realized. <laughs> and, and so, so asking questions of our team, because it's your own health, you're interested, you're curious, and you right. want to know how they're going to approach it. So that's kind of like right. first, first baseline. Yeah. You want to know what answers they currently have and they're currently right. comfortable with, but you want to know, okay, when we run out of those answers, what questions are you asking? You see, that's kind of the flip side of the coin of what I would call competence. Mm. Right. The competence coin has two sides. It's the answers. I, certainly I have answers that we've developed, right, for certain situations. Mm-hmm. But, but even more important to us, maybe that's the tail side of the coin, is the head side of the coin, which is the questions we keep asking. Because right. we, we're never married to those answers. We know there will be better answers in the future. There may be better answers now. If they're out there, we want to find them, right? So it's that, it's that drive. And, and I think that you want to kind of evaluate your healthcare team uh, do they have both sides of the coin and which kind of, which side of the coin is the shiniest, right? So, right? <laughs> Beautiful metaphor. All right. All right. All right. Which side is the shiniest? Mm-hmm. <laughs> that, so that, that'll give it some tools yep. for the listeners for how they can communicate and ask questions of their yep. team, of their doctors. Right. So, all right. So you go ahead. So how long ago was this kind of transition for you? Yeah, I left interventional cardiology about six years ago. <clears throat> and initially, um, you know, I thought I, what I wanted to do was sort of a con- concierge cardiology practice where mm-hmm. I could take the gloves off and do some more genetic testing and some things like that. And then over time, it wasn't until, you know, a few years later, basically, that uh, things evolved to the point where I realized I just I wanted to go all in with people across the entire spectrum, you know, mm-hmm. whether it was preemptive cancer detection you know, hormones, obviously heart disease, brain health, you know, the whole nine yards. I, it's gut health. You know, you, you get to a point where you just don't want to stop. So let's start. So you get to the point where you don't want to stop. I love that. That, that shows how passionate and curious you became. Mm-hmm. Let's start with the cardiology side, right? So 
heart health, what mm-hmm. creates heart health. And, and perhaps, you know, you mentioned the point of how you had your toolbox as a card interventional cardiologist mm-hmm. and you had things to like kind of react with different, you know, you had new tools, like actual technologies and, uh, and to actually kind of maybe try to make things a little bit better or prevent them from getting worse downstream. Right. So those are your downstream toolbox. What would you say are the the big kind of low hanging fruit for upstream in terms of prevention of heart disease and optimization of heart health for people listening right now? You know, if Mm -hmm. if they need to ask them, like, what are the questions they need to ask and where do they want to focus in terms of creating heart health? Right. Well, I think I think the most important question uh, is to ask, who am I? Right. In other words, who am I uh, from a genetic perspective, from a set of proclivities? You know, we tend to think of genes as being our blueprint. Um, But in actual fact, that's not the case, right? Genes are really a set of proclivities or a set of tendencies. And and we can modify the genetic expression uh, for the most part based on the environment that we, you know, put those genes into. The field of epigenetics, which is the really field, the, the field of epigenetics. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Just because you don't have a cancer gene doesn't mean that just because you have a cancer gene doesn't mean that it has to be turned on. That's correct. Lifestyle and environment. Okay. So that's, that's, right. that's same, for heart, same for heart disease, but it is important to know what those proclivities are because uh, different proclivities require different interventions, if you will, or more concerted efforts in various directions, right? So it's really important to crack the code in terms of your own genetic makeup. Um, and so I think if you can work with somebody to to do some basic genetics, basic cardiac genetics and things like that, that's a really good place to start. Cool. Um, and then I think you have to uh, understand that probably 80% of health is related to the food that we consume, right? Um, mm-hmm. Now that and the environment we live in, the air we breathe, the water we drink, the food we consume, uh, those all conspire, right? Definitely. Yeah, the 80-20 rule. Yeah. Right. I, I had a mentor share this with me, and I think I referenced it in the book. Uh, nutrition is to exercise as Batman is to Robin. That's right. <laughs> That's a great analogy. I love that one. <laughs> and that's, that's not exactly to limit Robin or right. exercise, right? Because right. it's super important, but like nutrition priority is like priority mm-hmm. like number one. Number terms. one. Yeah. Number one. Yeah. To your point. Absolutely. Right up there number with like one. hydration and, and then. Yeah. Well, you could think of hydration right. as a, as a part of nutrition too. Exactly. Yeah. 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 But yeah, exercise, you can't get there without it. <clears throat> you certainly can't be your best self without it. There's no doubt about that. Right, uh, exercise right. is critical and doing something every single day is critical. Um, and doing what's appropriate for you on a given day is, is important. You're not so, always going to run five miles on a given exactly, day. Exactly. Right. So nutrition going first, heart disease. Mm-hmm. So what are maybe some misnomers or, or things to look out for, like the things to avoid in terms of nutrition for heart health as well as the things to focus on? Well, right. you know, you hear a lot of um, a lot of interesting things. You know, we all need to start the day with a stick of butter in our coffee, right? Mm-hmm. Or we all need to um, be eating paleo. We all need to be on a high fat, low carb, you know, diet. We all mm-hmm. need to be um, 
plant-based. We all need to be eating grass-fed beef. We, you know, I mean, the, the point is that <clears throat> there is truth in all those statements. It really, the only question is, is it true for me, right? And so until you have those genetics and until you understand whether or not you get along well with fat in your coffee, MCT oil or, or butter or whatever, mm-hmm. um, it's really a crapshoot to just say, well, I like the guy that's promoting this. It's a cool logo. Uh, I'm going to start drinking it or I'm going to start eating this or I'm going to start doing this, right? Totally. And I think, yeah, and I think our problem is that, you know, God bless us. I think everybody's trying, everybody I meet is, is at least wanting to eat better, eat healthier. And the problem is they just don't know exactly what that means for them, right? So God bless everyone. They are trying. So I think you really have to work with somebody that can help you crack the code on your own genetics to know how you're built and what's going to actually work for you. So that's key. Hello, listeners of the Elevate Your State show. TJ here with a quick little station identification commercial break. Uh, First off, I hope you're enjoying today's episode so far. I'll make this brief and to the point. I'm excited to share that all of the work that we're doing within Elevate Your State is brought to you by a book and a project that I've been working on for the last four years called The Art of Health Hacking. So the book, The Art of Health Hacking, is available over on healthhackerbook.com. And it's all about merging self-care with sustainable high performance, profiling the innovation in healthcare and how to really take your health into your own hands. Uh, and optimize your health from the inside out. This book is gonna show you what it's all about, my friends. So again, healthhackerbook.com. If that resonates with you, there is free shipping on the book. You buy the book, I pay for shipping. And uh, anyways, hope you enjoy the rest of today's show, my friends. You are now free to elevate your state. Part of my personal health journey, which I mentioned and the art of health hacking book was was kind of around uh, a scary kind of <laughs> close to my demise. I, I passed mm-hmm. out um, at brunch and went to the emergency room nearly about three years ago. Um, anyways, I was in the midst of experimenting, doing a lot of self experimenting with nutrition and you know things like butter in my coffee. And I went keto. I went high fat, mm-hmm. and you know that was these things like eat grass fed beef, you know, eat plant based, eat, eat uh, keto, high fat. They are, are truths. If, if, if there are truths and, um, and uh, not for everyone, and maybe in like in general, they're valuable to consider, but really taking that personal approach, I hadn't quite done that on all. Like I was literally getting into genetics and advanced blood testing. Like, as I was starting keto and Mm -hmm. I probably could have used more of that. But Mm -hmm. for instance, to highlight one particular gene that I learned for my own self, which I'll gladly share here is probably related one that you work on often and, and uh, would uh, be able to talk about today. And that is the APOE gene, right? So that the gene with three different key variants that shows how well you do with metabolizing cholesterol Mm -hmm. and thus high fat, specifically high saturated fat. Yep. So um, that gene I, it, is one I tested for and realized I'm the normal one. GE33. So, three, three. Right. So from my understanding, and I want to get your take on this gene as well as 
other potential genes or markers to test for that maybe aren't genetic based, but like, you know, biochemistry blood based is, so I want to get your take on that. But so here's, yeah, so I was E3 normal. And it's my understanding that you've got E2, E3, and E4, right? So we all have APOE genes. We all have one of these three. One of them says you do, you tend to do well with a high fat, high saturated fat diet. Another is you're kind of, you're normal, Mm -hmm. which is what I am or so-so. You may or may not. And then the other one says you, you don't do well with a high saturated fat diet. Is that the, the right way you would explain it? Yeah, it's you're 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 really on target. the the way The way that it that it happens is you get an apoe gene, an allele, it's called from right. mom, and you get an allele from dad. Half of a gene is called an allele. So, science lesson one hundred and one. Yeah, you can you can get a two, three, or four from mom, and you can get a two, three, or four from dad. So then you could end up being two, 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 three, two, four, three, 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 four, or four, four, right? Those are the potential combinations you could, you could get. Mm-hmm. And it turns out that the APOE fours, either something plus a four or two fours, uh, tend to do the worst with a number of things. One, they don't do well with alcohol. Two, they don't do well with concussions. They tend to have a lot more brain inflammation. Uh, they don't resolve the concussion nearly as well. And you could even make an argument, maybe they shouldn't be playing hockey, right? Interesting. This is yeah. the, the... APOE4. 4-4, okay. Yeah. And the risk of Alzheimer's is significantly higher, four, four to five times for a single allele of four and almost 13 times higher for two fours. So four times and 13 times if you have one four or two fours. Two fours is this right. also the one that says you don't typically do well with high saturated fat? It is. It is. And that, that group doesn't do well with high saturated fat. It, it sort of fans the flames of their inflammation. So if you're, a, if you're out there putting butter in your coffee and you don't know your genetics, you know, you may be, yeah, you may lose some weight on it, right? Because you're eating fewer carbs. Okay, right. well, weight's kind of a byproduct of doing the right things. It's never the primary target for us. Key point right there. Yeah, we have people that lose lots of weight, but it's only because they're doing what they're built to do. Um, It's not because we're shooting them up with HCG or something else trying to artificially induce a weight, a quote-unquote weight loss. So uh, you really want to build bone density, muscle mass, and have fewer fat cells or or less fat in your cells is really what you're after. So, But that becomes a byproduct of doing the right things. But the APOE 4-4s, um, you know, they have a, a, they have a tricky time, and uh, the APOE 3-4s uh, do as well. And the 2-4s are really quite rare. Now, the 2s, to your point, they actually get along better with alcohol. When they drink some alcohol, you know, everybody says, well, I should drink red wine for my heart, right, because the alcohol is good for me. Well, that's, uh, that's true for the 2s. They actually, they're actually, their HDL goes up, their LDL goes down. Um, they also have a little bit of a longevity benefit, about a year and a half over the fours, just based on pure genetic statistics. They can eat a higher fat diet. They can stick butter in their coffee and be okay, right? So for some people, it's, it works. Um, but for a lot of other people, it doesn't. And the threes, I tend to see that, that when they go on to the, uh, the high-fat diets, saturated fat diets, that uh, a lot of their cholesterol numbers go haywire. Uh, yep. And I keep being told that, yeah, it does that for a while, but then it comes under control. And I have yet to see that happen. For so, the E3. 
Yeah, for the E3s and the E4s for sure. So, so we we tend to we tend to want to you know have people do what they're built to do rather than try to get a conform to a diet. Right? Let the diet Amen. conform to them. Yeah. Amen. So, cool. And it's yeah. I'm glad glad to get into that uh, because you know and uh, it's such a it provides so much more like empowered guidance mm-hmm. for like specific customization and tailoring for your own lifestyle. Like I'm, yeah. I've recently, you know, partnered with a naturopath with my clients and help them get to your point, genetic testing, mm-hmm. you know, advanced biochemistry, blood testing, heart health testing yep. Yep. to understand like, like how we can best customize and hearing them describe like how empowering that is. And, and cause they're actually now, taking action and like, right. that's 100% confident based action yep. <laughs> that uh, makes it so much easier for them, you know? And so, so that's, so if you're considering the keto, if you've been on keto or you've done it in the past and you haven't tested that, um, do test that um, regardless of what way yeah. you eat, you know, I would say it's yeah. important to test. I would say that we're not yeah. here to slam. I'm not here to slam any diet. That's not, right. that's not the point of this. I'm of here to course. be an advocate for the listener to say, Hey, <laughs> you really do yourself the best service and optimize your own health and performance, etc. longevity by, by eating the diet, consuming the diet that's right for you. And, and until you've tested, you really have no idea what that is. The data will guide. Yes. Yeah, the data will guide. Perfect. To your point about cardiology, there are other tests that can be done. You know, inflammatory markers. We used to think cholesterol drove everything. Now we know that cholesterol is a piece of the puzzle. Uh, LP little a is an important marker. Um, you know, uh, low-density lipoprotein particle numbers are important parameter. ApoB to ApoA ratios are important ratios. The bad family to the good family, cholesterol ratios, what that is. Yep. But, we, but we also understand that, that there's a lot to different inflammatory markers um, like C-reactive protein and myeloperoxidase and LPPLA2 and uh, microalbumin creatinine ratios. There's lots of different things that can be tested that uh, will give you an idea of your inflammatory status. And it turns out that the inflammatory status of the body drives a lot more events when it comes to heart attacks and strokes than just having plaque or having cholesterol. So if you're getting your cholesterol tested and, and somebody says, well, your total is you know this number and your good is this and your bad is that, you really only have about a tenth of the information you need to have to understand your cardiovascular risk. Uh, you really need to f- fill in the rest of the, the numbers there. So A tenth, a tenth. You yeah. Total HDL and LDL, which is typical Western medicine, like, all right, we're going to tell you your cholesterol numbers because this is the access to testing we have. And also because they haven't been forced to, the consumer hasn't asked for it enough. You're saying those represent 10% of what's possible when considering totally. other tests, like you mentioned LP little a CRP, mm-hmm. um, lots of other kind of yeah. inflammatory. Wow. Okay. So ni- those represent, yeah. so those 90% that people might be considering like, Oh yeah, those, those to your point, those markers are critical, but there's other, there's other testing too. Like we're big fans of cardiopulmonary exercise testing uh, because, you know, I've, I've been board certified in, in cardiology, interventional cardiology, nuclear cardiology. I did stress echo, stress nuclear studies, PET scans, uh, you know, everything known to man. Um, 
But when you do a cardiopulmonary exercise test, you get tremendous amounts of information about the heart that you don't get from any of those other tests on a physiologic basis. And you also get a lot of information about uh, what I would call preemptively diagnosing blockage in the heart arteries that you wouldn't be able to understand was even there based on the other tests. So interesting. Uh, yeah, there's this, no. This is the cardiopulmonary exercise test. Exercise test. Yeah. Yeah. So there's no test that's perfect, and this right. test, if your heart rate doesn't get high enough on any kind of stress test, then the test loses, you know, some uh, sensitivity and specificity relative to what it could have if your heart rate got up to where it needed to that's go. That's right. I've had the stress test once when I was younger. Right. Right. But the thing is that how many people do you know that have had stress tests that, you know, uh, well, you may not know these people, but you certainly have heard the stories, you know, while, while he was in perfect health, he saw his doctor, you know, they said it was good as a 30 year old and he had a stress test that was normal and he dropped dead two weeks later. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like there's a lot more to it than meets the eye. Right. And so using the cardiopulmonary exercise test and then using these other biomarkers to look for inflammation. Right. Um, and some of the drivers of events, that's, that's really becomes a critical piece. Cool. So to recap, we've got the importance of genetic testing for overall health and longevity and performance, but also mm -hmm. specifically um, how you will do heart health-wise. We've got advanced biochemistry blood testing. So looking at not just total LDL and HDL, but particle sizes, um, the amount, how dense or how fluffy the particles are, uh, LP little a, CRP. We'll, we'll have all of these noted, all of our show notes, by the way, if you're curious, if you're trying to keep up with all of the, the testing. All the lingo, right? Yeah, elevateyourstate.co. So that's a quick little plug if you want to get the show notes and or watch the video for this, elevateyourstate.co underneath the show podcast notes um, with Dr. Jeffrey Gladden. So that's the biochemistry advanced blood testing. And then the next one you mentioned, the cardiopulmonary exercise test. Let's, uh, let's dive into that test briefly. What does that entail? How long is it? Is it different than most stress tests? If so, how? Tell us a little yeah. bit about that. It's a little bit different. It's typically done on a bicycle, and most stress, stress tests are typically done on a treadmill. Um, you know, just like a, any stress test, you'll be hooked up to an EKG and have your blood pressure tested periodically throughout the test. Um, the difference is that um, this measures lung capacity before you start the bike portion of the test. So you're, you're measuring forced, uh, you know, expiratory volumes, uh, something called an FEV1, which is how much air you can move in one second as you expel an entire breath, right? So how much can you get out in a single breath and how much can you get out in the first second force vital capacity in an FEV1? So you measure that and then you also measure how much air somebody can move in a minute. Um, and that gives you a baseline on the pulmonary function. And then they, they basically jump on the bike and they're wearing a mask now that is going to capture all their CO2 and measure their O2. So now you're getting their carbon dioxide production and their O2 consumption. And it turns out that that becomes very, very sensitive in terms of understanding the state of their mitochondrial function. So the mitochondria are the little organelles inside the cell, back to your high school bio biology, right? So they're the little organelles, the little power plants inside the cell that actually make the ATP. And ATP is energy. It's like electricity or money in an economy. It basically is what makes everything work. 
And the more ATP you have, the younger you are, essentially. So a lot of what we do in Apex is help people optimize mitochondrial function and ATP production. But on this test, you can actually measure <clears throat> how much uh, someone is using fat for fuel and how much they're using carbohydrate for fuel. And the ratio between those two, which changes as the exercise ramp gets steeper, uh, gives you insight. I won't get into all the detail, but gives you direct insight as to how well the mitochondria are working. So it's, it's fantastic in that sense. We get an anaerobic threshold. At what point do you have to start using anaerobic metabolism to make ATP? Uh, that tells us how, what kind of condition you're in. Um, we get a look at very subtle things like is there a, uh, some degradation in how much blood your heart is pumping with each beat as you go into higher stages of exercise, uh, which correlates to some mechanical dysfunction of the heart. Um, we get a good insight into how you can accelerate your heart with exercise. Are you doing that appropriately? Do you have a biometric marker of, of being hypothyroid? We're having something that's impairing that. So we get, we get, and that's only part of it, but we get tons and tons of information about the heart. That, that's a lot. Yeah. That you don't just get normal. with a stress EKG. No, you just don't get that. You don't so, get that. So who, what, how do you get access to this testing? Like who provides this? Like this, this is something I'm curious. I'm interested. I want to have, I mean, cause yeah. the amount of data that it's providing here, yeah. you know, your importance about the mitochondria. I'm glad you brought that up. So this test kind of gives guidance around how well your mitochondria is functioning as well. Yep. Yeah, exactly. And it, it can also be, um, the same equipment can be utilized to do what's called a resting metabolic rate where you can measure right. someone's metabolic rate in a resting state. It's not a true resting state because they are in the office and they, they are sort of laying supine, but you know, there's always a little bit of agitation, but, um, but nonetheless, you can, you can get an estimate of their resting metabolic rate, which is another direct look at thyroid function in many cases, and also another direct look at the mitochondrial function. Uh, how many, what percentage of carbs are they having to burn at rest to make ATP? The more carbs they're burning at rest, the weaker the mitochondria. The more carbs they're burning at rest, the weaker the mitochondria. Okay, yep. so you have data that, that like, obviously, you know, proves this, but also your, your understanding, your, your um, doing the test to find the data about where they stand. I want to I be on a flight. So you do this with down in Dallas at your yeah. center mm -hmm. yeah. all the time, I bet. With, with all your, the time. Yeah, with your clients every single one yeah, yeah. patients every cool well i, I want to get on a one-way not a one-way round trip <laughs> i live in colorado <laughs> now boulder's <laughs> too sweet of a place to, to leave my son <laughs> um, my son went to boulder so you mentioned that yeah, yeah, yeah and you went to yeah. school in colorado yeah i did mm -hmm. for, for part yeah, of your school part of it. Yeah. yeah it's a it's a special state well that's yeah. cool so you're you offer this for your clients so if you live in texas or want to make a trip to dallas uh definitely look up apex check out dr jeffrey gladden what you guys are doing there and and if this episode resonated with you i would encourage you to ask you know okay where am i inspired to take action how can i learn from this to design a, a, a smarter, confident approach to my healthcare team and my approach towards performance and longevity. This has been great so far. We got, I've got a, a few more questions, so we're not in an, in, in too 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 soon here. But uh, my next question, Jeff, is um, what are your favorite health hacks that you are playing with personally uh -huh. in your lifestyle right now for health, for performance, and or longevity? Yeah. Uh, 
could be anything. Yeah, no, those are, those are always uh, interesting <laughs> questions. So one of the things um, that I'm a huge believer in is that, um, so I, I'm 64 and a half, um, and I can, I can basically do anything I want. Uh, I can run five miles um, at a pretty good clip um, under eight minute mile pace. I can snowboard with my kids. I can mountain bike. I can out climb my 34 year old son on a mountain bike currently because his, his, uh, he hasn't been riding that much just le- recently, but, uh, that, but was, that feels good. <laughs> yeah. That uh, no, doesn't feel bad. Um, <clears throat> you know, I can surf, I can, I can do all the things that I really want to do, right? I'm planning another heli trip this winter and, uh, some more snowcat snowboarding and stuff like that. So, Literally, I went from being in my mid-50s wondering if I could keep up with my kids to being able to do anything I want to do. Um, and that's to me, is the real payoff for this approach of asking how good you can be. So what kind of training does it take to do this? Well, you know, when you're in your teens and your 20s um, and you want to get in shape to play soccer or football or basketball or go skiing or whatever you're going to do, you know, you're going to go run, you're going to go lift some weights and, you know, maybe do some stretching, some yoga, whatever. Uh, and that pretty much covers 95% of it. Right. But my concept is that when I'm a hundred, since we're going to be cracking 120, that's right. the goal. Uh, and it's not being 120. Basically my concept of longevity is to claim an age and then leverage technology to maintain it. So what I mean by that is I'm 64 and a half, but I feel like I'm 32. So I'm going to claim that I'm 38, let's say, you know, a little more wisdom. Uh, and it's a great mindset, right? Because I'm only 38. It's like, do you want to, you want to think about a new business venture? Do you want to expand another side of Apex? Yeah, heck, I'm only 38. I mean, I'm not going to retire. <laughs> Why would I retire? So it's, it really changes your whole concept of aging. So when you think about that, I don't try to imagine myself as a hundred. Am I going to be good for a hundred? I'm going to imagine myself chronologically being a hundred years old, but physiologically being 38. But what kind of training do you have to do to make all that happen? So when you see a hundred year old person, you don't describe them as fast, agile, strong, balanced, quick, right? You don't, you never, you, well, maybe there's a rare person, but certainly very rarely would you describe a hundred year old person in those terms. Fast, agile, strong, quick. And balanced. And balanced. balanced. Fast, agile, strong, quick, and balanced. Those five. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, how many people break their hips when they fall down? How many people, you know, shuffle along? They're feeling for the curb. They're, you know, you see it all the time, right? Uh, And you don't have to be a hundred to be there. So, Mortality Whoa. rates mortality rates spike when you lose your ability to have balance and move and walk. Exactly. If, if you get injured and fall on the ground and can't get up on your own, then you're right. losing those natural faculties. Got it. Okay. So, right. so we're creating, you're talking about longevity from the point of how you want to feel and perform That's it. at this chronological age, your biological age, you know, there might be some difference. That's correct. Yeah. So I want to be a fast strong, balanced, agile, quick, 100-year-old, right? I want to be snowboarding. It's not about can I make it to 100. No, right. I want to be doing what I'm doing now 
you know, 35 years from now. And, and that's, be, that's a different perspective than most of our healthcare system right now. Right. Because we have, I mean, in contrast to other countries, you know, we've never had life expectancy be this high, yet the quality right. of life at those ages is, is abysmal, really, for the vast majority of people. There's a percentage of people who have taken care of themselves and done the right things, and God bless them, they're actually doing quite well, right? But, but the vast majority, it's not the case. Got it. So in terms of overall longevity, um, what are, we were getting into your health hacks. You know, throughout the week. You, you, you were talking about your health hacks. So your approach personally to longevity is how, that's how you want to feel and perform when you're a hundred. Right. What, what is that going to take? What is that training? Like what's the low hanging fruit for the people low- to consider that you would suggest them start with and maybe right. something personally that you're excited about? Right. I think some of the lowest hanging fruit is to incorporate some balance training into your, into your workout routines. So we're huge fans of balance. Um, and I have a whole variety of boards uh, in the room next door here, whether it's an indo board or an extreme balance board or a rocker board or a circular board or a BOSU ball or a Swiss ball. You know, all those things become toys and tools for working on your balance. Um, and if you get to the point where you can master something with your eyes open, then we go to our eyes closed um, because you're creating tremendous sense of proprioception. Proprioception is the body's ability to kind of know where it is in space. And so what you find when you do this kind of training is that uh, when you do fall, I'm a mountain biker, uh, when you do crash, you do fall, you roll, your body instinctively knows what to do to prevent injury. And so you're protecting yourself. Uh, and on top of that, you're, you're not sort of falling in the first place because your balance is so finely tuned. And I think, I think that's a critical skill that, that is way overlooked. Everybody's talking about what they can bench press, right? which is okay. I guess that has some use, but it's a whole lot more useful to be well-balanced, right? And skip down the stairs. Like I can run down a flight of stairs. I'm never hanging onto the railings. I just skip down the stairs, right? And, and people look at me like I'm, you know, 25 years old, but it's like, it's easy, and, and that's the kind of performance you want to have when you're 100, but you're not going to have it unless you're doing it now. Right? Unless you're doing it now. So that, it's, that functional freedom right. that you have, um, you know, in contrast with your example around bench pressing, mm-hmm. which you could liken to ha- maybe not necessarily having a lot of functional impact. Like most functional would, might be like how do you get off the ground, so like a push up, which is different than like a – Right. Bench right. Press. So right. vanity metrics in a way compared to like val- valuable That's uh, right. functional. Yeah. And it's hard to measure balance, right? You can't walk into the gym and stretch your arms back <laughs> and say, oh yeah, I can hold that for a minute and a half. It's like, it's, it's well, I don't even know what that means. Right? Exactly. So to your point there, I can actually speak to this real time. I've uh, been going through some healing and recovery in my own life, my own health. Our puppy was attacked by a pit bull. Mm, um, sorry to hear that. Over a little over three months ago. Thank you. Uh, yeah, it was uh, the most like dramatic experience of my life. Um, I'll be sharing more about it. I'm actually going to be interviewing my regenerative orthopedic uh, sports med doc cool. Very cool. that I've been working with. So stay tuned for that if you're interested in learning how I've been hacking this. But a quick little tip, like, like what I've been doing with physical therapy now is 
like, so I was six weeks non-weight bearing. Mm-hmm. I, I broke the fibula and I had two bad ligaments sprained. Mm. And so the best case for me was to like not walk at all to allow for healing and recovery of those ligaments. And um, so I'm now I'm measuring my overall, like uh, my flexion, my uh, what's uh, in my ankle. So the knee to wall test, right. And I've been doing tons of balance exercise and it's crazy. I'm like, Oh wow. I'm activating my glute. I'm, yep. when I get to a certain level, I'm, I'm closing my eyes. Yep. <laughs> so like, this is stuff that works and it might seem small, but I, you know, for me, for rehabbing an injury, I'm realizing that like, Oh wow. Like I could have been incorporating this before the injury and it might've helped to prevent it. That's it. Because so, people that do balance training have fewer injuries, right? That's been proven. And even in, you know, high school sports, if kids are doing proprioceptive training, exactly. right, they get hit, they get knocked over. Less injuries. Right? Well, there you go. Cool. So that's probably a reframe for a lot of people in their overall mm-hmm. approach to fitness. All right. So, so balance, any other kind of key aspects? Well, the, another thing, yeah, another thing I like to do is that, you know, asking me for kind of more whiz-bang things is we're using the Halo Sport headphones uh, from Halo Neuro, which is transcranial direct stimulation to open up the motor cortex. And we've had some amazing success with that in our training also. Um, in terms of uh, like when I mountain bike, I wear it, I prime neuro prime for 20 minutes before I get on the bike and I'm immediately in a flow state when I'm on the bike. You neuro prime with this halo sport, uh, the halo, halo sport, sport tech that you wear on your, you wear it on your head. Yeah, it looks like your headphones that you're wearing right now, except it's putting a little electrical current into the motor cortex. And uh, we've had great success with that. I can do it. Uh, I play the guitar a bit, and when I put it on and play the guitar, I'm instantly a better guitar player. It's crazy. That's crazy. So it's it, crazy. But it's <laughs> super fun. Super wow. fun. But it doesn't actually like like penetrate the skin and like it does. It penetrates into your brain. It's basically putting electrical stimuli into the motor cortex of the brain, and it has the ability. Nobody knows exactly how it works, but it sort of opens up the neurons in a way to make them a little bit more, uh, I mean, the term they use is neuroplastic, you know, like it increases neuroplasticity. But what it seems to do is it accelerates the brain's ability to lay down new neural connections. Uh, For example, musicians are using it to learn songs much faster than they otherwise used to or to play better. It's being used, uh, professional athletes are using it to perfect, you know, how to shoot a free throw or throw a pitch or, you know, kick a football or whatever it might be. Any sort of training. Any sort of training because it has the ability somehow to open you up and then you're sort of optimizing your your uh, body's biometrics in terms of how you perform. And I've seen it work over and over again with with some other things that I've done. Well, like there you go. That, on a plyometric bench, et cetera. That, Oh wow! So that's a that's a pretty advanced tech right there. Yeah, that's pretty cool. That's fun. I have no connection to the company, so I have sure. no financial interest in it. But sure. uh, we found that to be really cool. Interesting. Well, we'll have a link to that in the show notes. Halo Sport. Mm-hmm. You heard it here first, Doctor Jeff Gladden, touching base with us here on the Elevate Your State Show, highlighting the top health hacks for longevity. And um, I love how they're kind of both on the in- ends of the spectrum of like 
like new age or, or like like new advanced tech like the halo sport and then like something so fun to, fundamental as balance training that's it so we'll keep that's it simple it. but you also can have the cutting edge to uh, play with if you do want to keep taking it to the next level yep great stuff so the as we close here uh, Dr. Gladden, I'd love to hear the last thing from you is what does it mean for you to elevate your own state of health and performance to elevate your state? What does that mean to you? Yeah. Well, first off, I want to compliment you on your show and what you're doing. I think, um, because, you know, as we've gone through this conversation, I can see where your heart is in all of this. You're really trying to help people, um, think beyond you know, where they've, where they've been. And I think, uh, I really applaud you for that. You know, I mean, one of the, one of the obstacles that I run into for people is that people have normalized the aging process, right? The way that they've seen their parents and grandparents and their peers aging, right? And so, uh, it's hard for them to actually think that there's another alternative to that, uh, mm. to elevate their thinking to a completely different trajectory of aging, right? And so you're on that same thing across a whole spectrum of, of, things related to health. So we're kind of on the same path here. So right, right. Just that's different kind of, generations and different, yeah, that's different right. stories. I appreciate yeah. the, uh, the acknowledgement, Jeff. And, and, um, you know, I'm, when you talked about the power of questions, I get lit up when I have the chance to ask powerful questions to myself yeah. and to others. Like right. my background, my specialty is in the power of like sustainable behavior change through like mm -hmm. health coaching communication. Yep. And, and so we are on the same page and, and uh, I'm excited to be on the journey with you. So it, yep. it but it takes a two weeks, two way street for me to be able to interview you, the guy on the front lines. Like I, I not a practicing physician. I'm uh, have not had the training that you do. I'm a clinical health coach, a health hacker and uh, look yep. to help people synthesize all this information. So what you, you're doing down in, in Dallas, I'm excited to come check it out sometime soon. Yeah, yeah, come on down. Good. Yeah, good stuff. Well, again, we'll have all of this, uh, we'll have this whole show, the video, if you want to check it out, um, and all the show notes from it at elevateyourstate.co. We've got a great community growing uh, around the podcast, around my book that I recently released, The Art of Health Hacking, and you heard and had a chance to learn from Dr. Jeffrey Gladden, an advanced like longevity, health and human performance leader, coach, trainer, doctor who practices what he preaches. <laughs> yeah. And if people would like to hear more, um, there, we also have a podcast. Uh, I think we, you and I talked about that. Uh, right. People can pick it up at uh, Living Beyond 120 website. It's Living Beyond 120. Uh, and you'll see me and my, my, uh, co-founder and partner there, Mark Young. And anyway, we've got a number of podcasts up there. If people want to dive into some more of the medical stuff, uh, you know, we only got to scratch the surface here. So uh, we did, we did. So, we, 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 we talked about some, some important, important stuff. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But yes, if you want to take it to the next level, check out living beyond 120, the, the website, and uh, we'll have that linked in the show notes. And so that's awesome to hear. You've got a podcast going as well, Jeff. And, uh, Thanks again for all the work you do in the world. To oh, likewise. Healthier and happier place. Thank you. Great to see you, TJ. You bet. Hello, my friends and fellow health hackers. TJ Anderson here. I wanted to quickly say thank you for joining us today on the Elevate Your State Show. 
I certainly hope you enjoyed it. As a reminder, if you liked today's episode, you can head on over to elevateyourstate.co. That's elevateyourstate.co. And check out the links and show notes that we have for you from today's episode. And if you dig what we're doing here, all about merging health hacking for sustainable high performance, you can also check out our other episodes and or leave a quick review over on iTunes. As you can imagine, these reviews on iTunes really mean a lot for the future of this podcast. So I thank you in advance if you do decide to leave a review. Until next time, my friends, signing off from the beautiful mountains of Boulder, Colorado. Cheers to your next level health and performance.